The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today our guest is Danny Robbins, and the show is Key to Success for Nonprofit Leaders and Their Boards. Danny's a strategist, founder, and principal of Nonprofit Evolution, a consulting firm dedicated to building capacity, including board governance and organizational development, in small to mid-sized nonprofit organizations. She's a respected thought leader, practitioner, and speaker, and has over 20 years of experience in the nonprofit arena, the majority in executive leadership roles. Danny's also my co-author in the Innovative Leadership Workbook for Nonprofit Executives. So we've worked and spoken a lot about specifically how innovative leadership applies to nonprofits, uh, where they are different and where they're the same as for-profit organizations. She's also the author of a blog on issues related to nonprofit organizations, a donor path fundraising expert, and a nonprofit expert for Answers.com, and an instructor at the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University. She's at the forefront of nonprofit organizations, helping them create goals, build systems to meet those goals, and align their objectives to thrive. I selected Danny because she's a trusted colleague and a co-author, mainly because she's been my go-to person for everything nonprofits. I assumed when I started working on nonprofits that I actually knew what I was doing because I was teaching leadership in a university, had held major leadership roles in for-profit organizations, and had done a lot of consulting. What I learned from Danny is I didn't know what I was doing, and I really needed to learn the differences between for-profit organizations and nonprofit organizations. And, and also, the only board roles I had had at that point were non were nonprofit board roles. So I needed to understand truly how nonprofit boards were supposed to run, not necessarily how the ones I served on did run. So what I hope that you walk away with today is a clearer sense of nonprofit leadership if you're in nonprofits. If you're in a for-profit organization and you're considering a board role as a leadership development opportunity, having a clearer sense of how nonprofits operate and how they are different from what you're doing on a daily basis in your for-profit roles. Nonprofits really seek out effective leaders in for-profit organizations for their boards because of your expertise in your for-profit job, and yet it's critical for the functioning of the nonprofit 
that we understand the distinctions and also how boards run. And as leaders, having that board opportunity can create a huge development path for us, and yet only if we truly understand effective board functioning. So in addition to sharing models and expertise from Danny today, what I hope you walk away with is a sense of how you can take something you've learned from her and implement it in your ongoing work. I realize, again, that not everyone listening has a nonprofit role, but I hope you hear something from her that will also apply in any other leadership roles you you are taking, whether they're at work or in community organizations. So our goal is to provide valuable information for leaders and emerging leaders that will help them prepare to lead or improve their skills in leading in this dynamic environment. If you listen to the Leadership 2050 conversation or some of the others, we talk about the rate of change at this point in time. And just a reminder, uh, Ray Kurzweil the lead engineer at Google is suggesting that the amount of change we'll face in this decade is 20,000 times, 20,000 times as much as the last decade in the space of technology, and that those technology changes roll through everything we do in life means that all of us are facing pretty dramatic changes, whether we're leading organizations or whether we're working within them. We're not going to escape this. So as leaders, it's really imperative for us to continue to innovate or update our leadership algorithm, to use a technology term, at a rate similar to the technology that's changing our worlds and changing as it changes the world that we are leading, it, we should be changing how we lead within that world. So let's talk to Danny. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, please. Hi. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. A little bit more about myself. I um, want the world to be better. I want nonprofits to be stronger. I want um, everyone to fulfill their capacity to work towards improved change in the world. And the way I've chose to do that is through through nonprofits. I started my career in domestic violence and sexual assault programs, switched to Boys and Girls Clubs after about 10 years and about six years ago started my consulting firm. And really my goal at the end of the day is to help help our communities be stronger and our, and our nonprofits serve their communities. So as we think again about the volume of change, that idea of helping strengthen communities really is foundational to creating the infrastructure outside of business organizations that that support people as they are going through transitions. Right. And people interact with all kinds of um, both for-profit and non-for-profit organizations over the course of their life. And in fact, lately, there's many for-profit organizations fulfilling what used to be or is currently a nonprofit mm-hmm. role. So it's always interesting to know with which you're dealing and what the goals are and the purpose of that organization. The idea that many of the biggest problems we're facing don't get solved by an industry or a business or even the government, that it is a, a combination of all of the sectors coming together to solve problems, I think is an important point that we need to be thinking about. How do we partner with? 
other organizations. Absolutely. In fact, that's one of the things we talked about in my um, class that I taught last semester was that often nonprofits were created because there was a gap between what businesses were doing and what government was doing and what communities needed, and nonprofits stepped into that breach. I think it's more the case today that there is a more unified effort and a more coordinated effort across the three sectors to address communal needs. So it may be that the government is doing one part, a, a nonprofit is doing another part, a business is supporting that nonprofit to mm-hmm. do that part, or that there really is a you know a trifecta um, effort of um, skin in the game by all three to move it forward. Do you have an example of that? Hmm. Well, I think there's probably lots of examples of that, but one of them might be healthcare. Right? There's certainly for-profit mm. healthcare companies. Mm. There's mm-hmm. nonprofit hospitals and for-profit hospitals. There's government new laws on um, the Affordable Care Act and what what's allowable and what's not allowable. And then you have the attempt of an integration across those three sectors to um, align their work with the law and uphold the law and address the issues um, and the gaps that the law was created to address. Okay, so that's where... The Affordable Care Act, there are still people who fall through the cracks. There are still people who fall through the cracks, and some of those people are served by nonprofit um, nonprofit health clinics. Some of them are served by um, Medicare. Well, actually, not them because they wouldn't be falling through the cracks, but some of them are served by um, other types of clinics, and some of them, unfortunately, are served in the emergency rooms as a last resort. So depending on whether that's a for-profit or a not-for-profit, um, it could be any and all of the above. So that's a great example of in transition, healthcare is mm-hmm. making dramatic changes, and with each time the laws change, nonprofits, for profits, and government are responding, learning where the cracks are. Right. Because when we enact new laws, presumably we don't assume there will be cracks and anticipate them perfectly or the law would never get passed. Right. right. And so there's always intended consequences and then there's unintended consequences and then how you address the unintended consequences as they come up. And some of them come up immediately and are obvious mm-hmm. and some of them sort of trickle out as people get used to the new laws. It's it's an interesting example that with each change in the law, the nonprofits may need to respond very quickly right. to different populations who are no longer served. Well, hopefully not not that they're not serving the former populations because then that would really just be, you know, trading apples mm-hmm. for oranges and there wouldn't but hopefully they're addressing now two populations instead of only one population and maybe more people are getting served. Never want to trade um, <laughs> you know, never want to trade populations or trade the recipients of programs because that that means we're still creating winners and losers and I think the field in as you know, in in summary, would probably prefer to have, you know, less losers and more winners, and and be able to serve more of the population. And yet, unintended consequences. Yes, <laughs> yes they do. So, but it, can I just yeah. think? You know, I I think there's always a fear and um, of nonprofits and and districts and for profits and lots of organizations and companies probably. Canceling programs that are needed for people and and how those happen and I think especially in the nonprofit field we need to be very careful that um, it's not just a money it's not just a money issue and that if in fact a nonprofit has to cancel a program that they're um, intentional about how they do it and they hand off that program to someone else who will continue to serve that population because there are money issues there are money issues and there's often winners and losers but because of because we know that if we had a better plan there would be less of them. Mm-hmm. So let's, why don't you explain, and I, I realize it seems for many people intuitively obvious, and yet I know your answer. So <laughs> why don't you give your definition of what is a nonprofit? 
Great. So a nonprofit is a corporation that also has a purpose. So a nonprofit is not intended to make money. In fact, the officers and the executives of that nonprofit are not allowed to personally benefit other than what's a, considered a reasonable salary in that marketplace. Um, and the money, the proceeds are um, by law required to be reinvested in the, in the corporation. But it's still a corporation. It's still a business. Um, but it's a nonprofit business that serves a purpose. So at the end of the day, it's a tax status. So Jane Scott at the Columbus Metropolitan Club always says it's it's a tax status, not a goal. So it's not that um, nonprofits can't make money. And in fact, many of them make money. Um, but it is that that money can't be used to benefit their um, shareholders. So an example, one of our other guests was Chuck Gehring at the uh, Columbus Meals on Wheels. So they have a profitable catering business, and those profits are then reinvested in providing free meals for people in the Meals on Wheels program. Right. And and Meals on Wheels is a program of Life Care Alliance. Yes. And Chuck Gearing is the exec CEO of Life Care Alliance. So, she, so Chuck Gearing gets a salary from Life Care Alliance, but Chuck Gearing does not get a cut of the proceeds from Life Care Alliance because it's a for-profit organization. But that's an excellent example. In fact, their catering is excellent, and I used it to cater a family family event last year. <laughs> so, so it's interesting. It, the reason I bring that up is nonprofits have evolved away from donation only right. funding to much more entrepreneurial funding. Yes. And hopefully they're doing all of the above. Although there's many nonprofits, you know, I don't want to confuse our, our listeners. There's nonprofits that are not charitable institutions. In fact, there's lots of them. So um, the NFL was a nonprofit, was talking about giving up their nonprofit status, and I'm not sure where that is. But up until recently, they were a nonprofit. Unions are nonprofits. Many um, political action committees are nonprofits. They're not nonprofits you could donate money to and write that donation off on their taxes. Those are only 501c3s, and those are ch- considered charitable institutions. So it's not enough to be a nonprofit. You also have to be a charitable institution. Obviously, Chuck Gearing, Life Carolines, absolutely is. Meals on Wheels across the country is. Most of what most people consider nonprofits often are, but you should check because sometimes they're not. To your point, PACs, political action right. committees, are nonprofits, but not charitable organizations. I believe so. And also many um, lobbying arms of what you would think of traditional nonprofits. So many, um, many organizations that have 501c3s also have 501c4s, which which Mm -hmm. solely lobby. And those are also not charitable institutions. I was on the board of an organization that had both. Right. Right. So again, as we're donating and joining boards, it is important to be clear what we're joining. Absolutely. Always be clear what you're joining. I think it's also always clear to be um, have a good handle on what the expectations are, what the job is, because, you know, make no mistake, being on a board is a liability. So you want to make sure that, you know, you're clear on what the agency does, what kind of shape the agency's in financially, if there's any pending lawsuits, if there's anything in the community that you're not aware of, if, you know, what their outcomes are, who their service population is, where their money comes from, all of those things are of paramount importance if you're considering serving on a nonprofit board. You gave me that counsel once, and... (laughs) I don't always <laughs> do what you recommend, <laughs> but mostly. <laughs> and it kept me from making a mistake because oh. I had it, it. I ended up reading the bylaws and and making a much wiser choice. And often, when I've been recruited to join boards, they don't offer the bylaws. Right. They they just say, "Hey, you want to join?" And it, it is not even clear what's the term of service, what are the hours of commitment, none of that. Right. Just hey, right. We like you. Come right. hang out with us. Right. Just like buying a used car, buyer beware. Ask the questions before you agree to serve on a board, because once you are on that board, you'll be held liable by the state. 
and your community. So you want to make sure that you know what you're getting into and that you're um, clear. Because while it's a job that doesn't pay, it's a job. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. Sometimes it takes resources. And you want to make sure that you understand what the expectations are. And I think sometimes agencies really do a disservice to their board members. They they tell board members, you know, it's an hour a month. Oh, don't worry about it. It's only an hour a month. Well, first of all, it's never an hour a month. It's never, like, I, the minimum, it maybe is three hours a month. It's probably closer to five hours a month. And if there's anything significantly happening, it could be 10 or 20 hours a month. That's a lot of time when you're expecting an hour a month. And then all of a sudden, we have an immediate disconnect. You're expecting an hour. I'm frustrated that you're not giving me more than an hour, even though I told you an hour. So you always want to be clear on what the time commitment is. And to make sure you can show up at the meetings, right? Because, I mean, a huge liability is things happening in a meeting that you're not even at, which will not stop you from being held accountable for what happened at that meeting. Yeah, I joined a board that uh, of a university that was in receivership, and it was more than an hour a month. I'm sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was probably 10 to 20 hours a week. It was a right. short period of time where, where we managed transition, but the board took a very active role, or some members on the board, mm-hmm. not everyone, but some members on the board took a very active role. And fortunately, I knew that going in that we I didn't know how much time. But I knew going in that it was going to be a significant commitment. And that was a choice. Right. Absolutely. And sometimes boards only know what they're told, which means that you really need to make sure that you ask enough questions of your executive leader so that you are clear on what's really happening. At that point, I didn't know what it meant to be in receivership in the way that I know now. (laughs) So on that note... (laughs) Let's take a quick break. Uh, This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Danny Robbins, and we're talking about nonprofit leadership from an executive role and from a board role. it's up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You 
are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and we're joined by Danny Robbins today. Danny's an expert in nonprofits, all things nonprofit, <laughs> governance, leadership, board roles. So we wrote a nonprofit book together. We did. It was fun, except for the days it wasn't so fun. <laughs> so why, yeah, with all the books on the market, why was this a good use of your time? such an interesting question that you started about time because you might remember when you first said do you want to write this book I said no <laughs> I said no I don't want to write that book it's a ton of time it, you know I don't know that like when it makes money it might take a while and um, if it makes money if it makes money at all and it's, it's a lot of time and then the more the more I thought about it and the more and and you also might remember that six months later I called you and said I was wrong I apologize like if that's offer still available I'd love to I'd love to do it I think there's a lot of books on a lot of things out there. There aren't a lot of things that that people can follow one leader's journey that you can really see how someone has evolved over their career. And I really love that we had the opportunity to do that in our book with the case studies and the journaling. I love that it goes from you know, vision and values into um, how to improve your leadership, because I think that's where we all need to start. And it was very much aligned with how I'd been trained as a leader. Um, Boys and Girls Clubs of America, um, as we've talked about previously, is incredibly intentional about how they train their executive and board leaders. And one of the ways that I was trained was to always be focusing on values and vision and where we're going and how we're going to get there and what systems are going to um, need to be aligned with how we get there. And this um, this was really just like the next step for me as far as um, growing myself as a leader and helping my colleagues and helping nonprofits be stronger because what I really want at the end of the day and I've, I know I've said it and I'll keep saying it that I want nonprofits to be stronger and I believe strength starts with leadership and um, executives that understand their role in building the board and in building their teams and in building their own professional development are stronger and then they lead stronger agencies. I was teaching a class last night, so I teach MBAs in the evenings, and, and these are people often mid-career, and the the part of the workbook they were focusing on is vision and values. And, and then we looked at several futurists talking about what is required during times of volatility and uncertainty and uh, chaos, basically, and, and ambiguity. So during this volatile, ambiguous time, what makes leaders effective and it is a clear sense of I know myself I have a a personal vision and the organization has a vision we may not know how we're going to get there but I am clear and consistent that this is what I my vision and my values so I know how I behave and and while the tasks may change a lot I know that you as a leader consistently demonstrate value-based behaviors. And I, I would say that of you, having worked with you across a range of nonprofits, everything from the radio station to the university, to a nature preserve. <laughs> and in each of those, the the environment was different, your role was different, but consistently that sense of highly ethical, community-focused, 
strong principles around who you are and the value you deliver has has made me count on you. And I assume that that is true for leaders around the world, that the ones we trust fundamentally are the ones who who know who they are. So, so watching that journey of how do we develop, and I loved reading that in, it also participating with you in the book, and watching the students last night grapple with the question of why do I need a vision? And what is it about leaders who have vision that differentiates them from those who don't. So so I love the the point that the vision and values really are the foundation of who I am as a leader. And if I know who I am and what I stand for, then how I lead, being a person who inspires and motivates and is trustworthy, makes the role of leadership very different than someone who is doing the tasks of leadership properly efficiently effectively but not necessarily being the person that is worthy of followership right which is sometimes the difference between managers and leaders right like managers are are managing the process do you have Mm -hmm. the resources do you have the skill set do you know you know do you understand what the what the expectations are but they're they're not necessarily inspiring and they're not necessarily talking about values and visions though hopefully they are but you when you can really align the values, the vision, the mission of the organization. And when I do strategic planning like that, I always start with values because the rest of it doesn't matter unless you're clear on who you are and what you believe in. Because you're going to come to a very different place if you're individually driven versus collectively driven. If you're about collaboration or you're about your agency, like those are different goals. Mm -hmm. And because they're different goals, they're different values. And, and even, I didn't say that right, but the values—the values have to drive where you're going. And when the values don't drive where you're going, you know you don't know where you're going. So I, I think that's those. There were two huge learning experiences that I that I got um, actually at Boys and Girls Clubs of America going through their advanced leadership program. And one of them is that your HR systems have to match your values. And the other one is it doesn't matter how good you are at your job if you're not on the team and moving the agency forward, you can't stay. That was those two pieces, like the day I learned those, the sun came out, like I understood better how to be a leader, how to how to be a better executive. Mm-hmm. And until then, like I couldn't figure out how to communicate those two points in a way to be effective. One of the, the videos we watched last night was a group of put out by Harvard Press. So a bunch of Harvard professors and others interviewed by Harvard Press about the worst mistakes of leadership. Uh, And what really stood out was people who are in it for themselves, for Mm -hmm. personal gain, arrogant, um, self-serving, all of those things. People who are unwilling to recognize that they've made a mistake and correct. So, again, in these volatile, chaotic times, we're going to make decisions with imperfect information. Mm -hmm. That kind of describes my life and yours. We make the best decision we can in the moment. Yep. We go forward and we measure mm-hmm. to make sure that if where we are off track, we identify it quickly and correct. So leaders who are willing to acknowledge to to acknowledge mistakes, right? Not I'm I completely blew it, but right. Directionally, we need to fine tune, right? And that ability also requires introspection. Absolutely. People who are willing to evaluate themselves not just the dashboard right of results right and so how am i that person who you said the sun came out that right 
that knows my vision and values that reflects that acknowledges learning right so so mistakes presumably equal learning right and it's about us it's about the mission and vision i'm part of that you're part of that right one of the things i always talk about is that life is about making new mistakes like it's one thing to do something stupid once like and it's and maybe it wasn't stupid like you make a decision with what you have the day mm-hmm. the decision needs to be made right like i need to decide by tuesday at two o'clock and by tuesday at two o'clock i have this much information and i'm going to make my decision based on this much information but by thursday at nine o'clock if i realize wow like i have new information <laughs> and i need to change that decision you know i not only need to change that decision but i also need to look at like what did i miss to not see it like was it really not available or did i not see it if it really wasn't available that's one thing but if if I didn't see it, then I need to at least have, you know, have the introspection to go back and look at what was there that I missed. So I think anytime there's a mistake or a problem or a crisis or anything like those are those are two good opportunities to waste. You have to you have to be willing to sit down and ask the hard questions of what didn't we see? Why didn't we react until we did? What's mm-hmm. out there that makes sure this doesn't happen again? Because life is about making new mistakes. You can't do the same stuff over and over. You got to do new stuff. <laughs> new what? stuff to figure out. <laughs> and I know I keep hitting on this volatility thing it's it's certainly in my mind because of things happening in my life that I knew were going to happen with regard to parents health and I know I'm going to make mistakes in this transition sure. and it's a painful transition and I'm emotionally a bit raw and many of us have the same thing at work right something came up we hadn't anticipated it. It's with a competitor. It's with a change in regulations. Something happened with someone in our organization. And I, I do the best I can with what I have. And that ability as a leader, again, going back to values, if people trust that I am going to make the best decisions I can, I've created an environment where we all make mistakes and where we are supported in that learning. Mm-hmm. Again, with guardrails. If I do something illegal or right. outside of the range of reasonable mistakes, that's a different conversation. But with times of dramatic change, one of our speakers was Jim Ritchie Dunham talking about the environment we create. And, and Danny's a student of Jim's also. Uh, with the organizational vibrancy how do we create an environment where I feel good about myself and that's balanced with my contribution to the team and my contribution to the organization so it's not overly I give so much that I'm unhealthy I don't give so much to the mission that we're struggling but it's a balance of all right and and I think there's a point that you also you know with your team and with your with your people and with your board if you work with the board you know we all have to create we have to create environments that people can say things to us that we're not going to like to hear right like Mm -hmm. yes like I never want a yes board I never want a yes team you know I don't need to be told all day long that I'm great You like, like it not though. only it, you know it's nice for five minutes, but then at some point I start thinking like I'm not learning anything here. Yeah. Like I would rather be learning something, and if I'm learning something, that means I have to create an environment that people can come in my office mm-hmm. and shut the door and go, "Hey, like I don't think I think your decision was wrong, and here's why." And mm-hmm. respectfully, but or you know you, you said X, but you didn't know about Y. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know I'll never forget when I was a first time executive director. I was 26. I just got out of grad school. And I was working with women who um, were all in their late 40s, all had kids my age. Um, and, and one day there was this light on on the copy machine. 
and I went to one of the women on the team who was in charge of such things and said, hey, there's a light on on the copy machine. Like, could you change the toner? So she went and changed the toner. I went back to make my copies however much later. And she said, I would have changed the toner myself. By the way, I just didn't know where the toner was. <laughs> so um, I, I went back several hours later and the light was still on. And I said, hey, I thought, you know, I thought you were changing the toner. And she said, oh, I did change the toner. And I said, well, why is the light still on? And she said, because it didn't need toner. That's a, that's a, um, you know, there's a, there's a backup. Jam there's a something. paper jam. Exactly. Thank you. And I said, well, why didn't you just tell me that? Like, why did you change the toner anyway? And she said, you told me to change the toner. And it was such a huge lesson to me that like people were going to do what I said, even if it made no sense. Even if they thought it was wrong. Like, even if it wasn't necessary, they were going to do what I said. Well, that means that, A, I needed to be much clearer about what I was saying and much more and, and also create an atmosphere so that they understood that 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 wasn't the right choice. That wasn't the only choice. Mm-hmm. You know, there are always going to be times where we feel like we need to do what we're told. Um, but I really have tried since that day to create an environment of... Um, that people feel like they can walk in my office and, or just tell me flat out, it's not the toner. It's a jam. Okay, great. Fix the jam. <laughs> like, whatever. But but thank you. But that means that that re- that when they say, "Hey, Danny, that's not a toner. It's a jam." I don't go. I told you to change the toner. Like I go. Oh, great. Thank you. You know, could you please fix the jam? And I really appreciate that you came and said it's a paper jam and not the toner. And I know that took guts. And I appreciate you, that you did that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Because how I react to that information is going to change whether I get that information ever again or not. And mm-hmm. I and we all need to know that as leaders that. We we, um, that our voice carries more weight than we might feel like we deserve or feel like we should or feel like, and that everybody, you know, doesn't feel like they can say whatever they mm-hmm. need to say. Well, in some environments, they actually can't. Right. I know. And clearly, lots of right. Lots of environments. We've been in those. Yes. And I've been in them too. So with that, how, what is the typical nonprofit structure? So there really isn't a typical nonprofit structure, but the typical, like the traditional nonprofit structure, and I guess this is pretty, this is very typical. There's a board. The board of directors are responsible for the organization. They are the community's representative. They have a certain set of um, jobs, five roles and responsibilities. One of them is to hire an executive director. The executive director is traditionally responsible to hire the staff and execute the mission. So the board has five roles. Hire, support, and evaluate the executive director. Be the fiduciary responsible agent. Set policy. Policy is often written by the executive, recommended by the executive, and implemented by the executive, but it has to be set and approved by the board. Raise money and set the mission, vision, and strategic direction of the organization. That's the five job. Everything else is done by the executive director or in concert with the executive director. So it's very hard, and especially because there's lots of nonprofits that that board members also serve as volunteers, that board members also work in the organization as, um, you know, volunteer, but work Mm -hmm. in the organization. It gets very mushy as to where the lines go. So I always encourage people, if, if your board is going to act in a what would be staff role if you had the money to hire staff, assuming that you have a paid executive director and not an executive director who's also the board president and, and nobody's getting paid. But in an environment that there's a paid executive director and there's what would be staff jobs, it's important to discuss um, when the executive director has the final authority and when the board has the final authority because mm-hmm. otherwise it gets very mushy. And especially if there is also staff, then the staff don't know from whom they should be taking direction and whose direction takes priority. I think that was one of my bigger learnings was as the board member or board president, there were things I shouldn't be doing. 
Yes. I should not be interfering with the operation of the organization. You should not be assigning work to staff. No board member should be assigning work to staff, or they should be assigning work to the executive director, or at a minimum, you know, copying the executive director and making sure the executive director is, is clear with it. But where agencies tend to get um, off kilter is when board members start assigning work to staff and the executive director doesn't know anything about it. And, and if I were the executive director, I would think of some of this as meddling. I know it's well intended and, and trying to be efficient, but right. stepping in in a way that creates confusion. To right, your point. and and right, and and hopefully the intent is not meddling, though occasionally I'm sure it is. Um, but for the staff, it's incredibly confusing. Like they don't know who to listen to, and it happens more with senior staff. Like when the chair of the resource development committee tells the um, director of development to do something without talking to the executive director, and also I think it goes the other way too. For staff that have access to board members, they occasionally overstep, and if the board doesn't know to say, unless this is in legal or an ethical violation of our policies, a violation of the law. Or a violation of our policies, like I need you to take that back to the executive director. Um, so it gets, you know, we all need to be really clear on where the boundaries go and when we're operating outside of them. And thinking of that specifically, members sharing information with the board and staff members. I'm now basically going around my boss. Yes, you are. Sharing information openly that could adversely impact my boss. Right. And sometimes that's your intent. Sometimes that's the goal, right? Mm -hmm. I actually once worked for someone who went around the executive director to the board, and then the executive director got fired, and they the board would not consider this woman as an executive director because she didn't follow the chain of command. So important point, and and I've seen that also in for profit organizations. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it a lot in for profit organizations right. that that people also go around. The, the CEO right. to the board yep. and CEOs get fired. Right. It is an important point, again, to really reiterate the following of appropriate process and structure. Because in some cases, what, what the board has heard and responds to is incomplete information. Right. And if they respond too quickly without doing their due diligence, they may be making really difficult decisions. Right. But it also is important to know that staff has to have a path to the board. Mm -hmm. So there should be a grievance policy or an ethics officer or somebody that allows some way that allows them to be mm -hmm. a whistleblower and to report things that are egregious. And then it's the board's job to decide mm -hmm. whether in fact they're egregious. And the difference is there's egregious and there's I don't like my boss. Right. Exactly. And yes, you're just not, you know, I don't you like didn't the, do it my whatever. Way. Right. Yeah. Okay, so with that, we're going to go on break. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We're with Danny Robbins, uh, talking all things nonprofit. <laughs> It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf with Danny Robbins, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. So let's shift gears a little bit. If you want to get involved in a nonprofit, either as a board leader or as a volunteer or staff, where do you start? You know, it's such a good question. And I get a lot of calls. Um, I get a lot of calls from two different groups of people. One, people who are new to Central Ohio and they want to um, just meet more people in town. And two, people who want to transition from the for-profit world to the nonprofit world. And I always say the same thing, like, what do you care about? You know, and, you know, and what do you care about specifically? Because people are like, oh, I care about kids. Well, kids is a huge range of services. Do you care about kids with disabilities? Do you care about kids with specific disabilities? Do you care about kids in the urban community, kids in rural communities, kids in preschool age, kids in high school? You know, what kids do you care about and what specifically do you care about? And then from that, what agencies are serving that population? And once you've started there, then do some research on if there's three different agencies, which one is more aligned with your values. It all comes back to values. Have you noticed that? Which agency is more aligned with your values? Which agency are you excited about helping them meet meet their mission and achieve their vision? You know, what agency is willing to sit down with you? Because I would love to tell you that they're all going to be, but some of them won't. Um, And, you know, you want people to return your call and you want people to put you in meaningful work and you want people to engage you in a way that you like to be engaged. So, you know, it takes work. Like you can't just decide at 10 in the morning that I'm going to go volunteer at a nonprofit and buy two like be reading to a kid. You know, first of all, <laughs> I tried to do that with hospice. And, and yeah, they, they require training. Right. <laughs> training. Hopefully any agency that's working with kids require a background check. Um, and, you know, we really want we want mm-hmm. um, we want to make sure that we're matching up people with their interests and also not putting people who have a history of of harming children with children. So, you know, we mm-hmm. have both the obligation to our volunteers and also to our population. So you want to make sure that you are matching people's passion, people's values, people's missions and people's appropriateness with um, with the organization that they're interested in serving. So the best place to start is what do I care about? And and once you know what you care about, then, you know, just keep going down the list. 
it, for me, it was d- definitely, I assumed if I signed up, they would have me doing something I wanted to do that day. Yes. And, and that was really a bad assumption. Right. And not only that, sometimes for the agency, like, it's not worth it to them. You know, th- mm-hmm. this was very shocking to a lot of people. I, but 10 years ago, maybe 15 at this point, when they started having huge community service, you know, when uh, misdemeanor crimes were given community service, which made perfect sense on paper, mm-hmm. and when schools were given community service, that meant all of a sudden agencies had this glut of volunteer of, a volunteer base, and we had to come up with a process to screen them, to, to manage them, to make sure that they're matched with work that we actually need done, and how consistent they're going to be. So someone who wants to volunteer for five hours, like that's not a great use of my time, right? Like for me to pay for a background check, interview somebody, you know, match them to something, and then they're going to be gone in five hours. Like I've just wasted five. I could have worked for those five hours myself. <laughs> so, so you have to um, make sure that, that the agency has the right process in place and that whatever you're offering is something that makes sense to them. You know, like if I want to design a newsletter, maybe they don't need a newsletter. Maybe they have a great marketing person. You know, maybe what I want, they don't need. Um, so we have to match up people's people's interests, but also, um, you know, their time frame with our time frame, their values with our values and what they want to do with something we actually need. Because sometimes what you want to do, we don't need. And we, but we still want to engage you. So maybe, we'll, you know, it's the same thing with donations. Like sometimes we get calls about donations that just don't make sense for us. And then we need to be able to say, like, we would love to engage you as a, as a donor. What, this is not something that we need. Would you consider X? Mm-hmm. Like I once got a call from a guy who wanted to um, donate money for a capital project to name in honor of his parents, which would be awesome, except my, my club was in a housing project. So I didn't own any land. So I couldn't actually build something. You, know, you want to do like a basketball court or something cool. Like we didn't have the land. I didn't have the ability mm-hmm. to do that but I really needed a new tech center so I said you know would you be would you be interested in, in putting you know in contributing towards a tech center he was talking about a $5,000 gift I actually needed like thirteen or $15,000 and um, and he said yeah I'd be interested in considering that and um, I sent him a proposal and he funded the whole project which was awesome <laughs> Awesome, and, they, and he named it, and we named it after his parents. So, um, but it's, it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. But you have to be able to really communicate your needs, which then, of course, means you have to be clear about what your needs are. It's interesting because you and I have talked about this a lot. And again, big learning for me, as I assumed I could donate clothes to a homeless shelter. They may not have the space to accommodate right. the clothes I want to give, right. even though homeless people need clothes. Right. Uh, but I had winter clothes in the summer. I don't remember right. what it was. But right. It, and it's a space thing, right? It's a. It's can you manage? Do you have the capacity to manage that? You know, 100 new volunteers is a lot of people to manage. If I don't have a volunteer coordinator, who's going to do that? Who's going to screen those people? Who's going to interview those people? Who's going to match them up with a job that we actually need in the organization? No one. So that means I'm going to have to either add it to somebody else's job or that's just not going to be something something that we say yes to today. Same with donations. You know, we may not want a plot of land. We may not need a car. We may not be able to take winter clothes in the summer and summer clothes in the mm-hmm. winter and, you know, all a whole host of different things. Now, maybe we will, but, you know, it's worth calling and then it's also worth being prepared to say no. I used to get a lot of calls from people who wanted to donate things that were broken. Um and they were always shocked that, like, we couldn't take things that were broken. But I didn't have, like, a cadre of handymen who could fix stuff. And there was nothing I could do with it other than, you know, throw it in a room somewhere. And I didn't have a room. So um, it's very it's very delicate. And you always want to be turning people down with a way that often, that that is offering, you know, you're closing mm-hmm. a door and you're opening a window, hopefully. So you're reengaging them in a different mm-hmm. way. Well, and I'm highly aware of a situation that happened here. Just a little bit of storytelling here. So in Columbus, Ohio... Uh, garden accepted a 
donation for a memorial garden seemed on the surface to be a beautiful opportunity to fund a special garden. There was a statue. Uh, it turned out that the person it was in memory of had allegedly committed some crimes. And then there was a big question of, do we create a, a place to honor someone who may have done some things that damaged our community in a way that we don't want to, right. in a public park, create this memory. So it, it is interesting, and it created a, a lot of issues right. that um, ended up being litigated. Right. So, so something that seems on the surface well-intended, and this idea of background checks and and such really does, even when it got started, I couldn't imagine that the outcome would be litigation over right. this really small garden. Right. You know, it wasn't, a, a, didn't, right. to me, it did not seem like a big deal. Right. And but to the people he allegedly it's a big deal. embezzled. Right. It's a big it, deal. It was a big deal. It's a big deal. And and what can save, honestly, there are so many policies that can save agencies from having, you know, these conversations mm-hmm. and these <laughs> court cases. Um, and, and in this case, it's a gift acceptance policy. Mm-hmm. So gift acceptance policies delineate what you accept and under what terms. So, you know, and, and for how long. So it may be like if you look at Houston, Texas, I haven't been there for a while, but there was a period of time that Houston, Texas, half of it was named for Enron and maybe not half, maybe just five buildings, but it seemed like half. So if, you know, if five buildings have the name of Enron on it or a Ken DeLay on it and all of a sudden <laughs> like they're being blamed for huge financial meltdown of our of our economy, you know, maybe we don't want their name on our building anymore. And then what? You talk about a lawsuit, you took $10 million from someone or $5 million or mm-hmm. whatever the number mm-hmm. was, and you put their name on a building. Um, and now gift acceptance policies often have clauses that say, um, in, the, in the event of criminal activity or a criminal conviction mm-hmm. or um, a civil judgment or whatever, um, or even sometimes in the case of reputation damage, you know, we will remove your name. So a gift acceptance policy is a great way to clarify what you'll accept under what terms. Of course, any policy, there's going to be something come up that you did not mm-hmm. think of. Mm-hmm. But it, it can at least protect you from not having to accept everything that somebody wants to give you or at least creating some terms on what you'll do that under. So, so I, I realize this is a slight uh, turn in our direction, but just things I, I know you and I have talked about that I've learned that it just, as someone who wanted to volunteer, it didn't occur to me to right. think through these things because I didn't know how nonprofits ran. Right. It didn't occur to me that we need to do background checks on gifts we receive. And well, even as a board member, right. it wouldn't have occurred to me until I saw examples right. of how badly wrong something that's really well intended right. goes. Right. And maybe it's not a background check, but maybe it's a little bit of information digging and some vetting. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think it's really important that we're all clear about, you know, with whom we're collaborating. Right. Do I want and I'm sure you had this thought before, you know, you you allowed me to co-write a book with you. You know, is this someone whose name I want next to my name in perpetuity? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to delete your name from the cover it of is, a book. It's hard to delete your name from the cover of a book. And because of that, you know, I'm sure that you were very intentional on who you allowed to co-write with mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. so that you were not forever entangled with someone who um, maybe didn't share your values. See, it all comes back to values, Maureen. <laughs> It all comes yeah, back there to was values. no clause about legal activity <laughs> that I not. could delete your name from the book. <laughs> but not. I also have values that would say that you're not going to end up in jail. I hope to God not. <laughs> <laughs> 
can't imagine the scenario, and maybe that's it, right? I can't imagine the scenario under which any of my co-authors right. would end up right. Either Their reputations be smirched. Yes, and yet we've seen people who well-intended. Right, and we've also seen people wrongly accused, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you know, but I think there are some policies and procedures that will at least dictate what you should do under what circumstances. And, you know, back to what you said about guardrails. Like, you know, we want we want our agencies to be good partners in the community mm-hmm. and good stewards of the community's resources. And part of how you do that is by having systems in place to protect both the organization and the community's resources. So as we are coming to wrap up, what do you want people to take away? If there were three to five points that that you want everyone who listens and listens all the way to the end <laughs> to to be thinking about with regard to nonprofit leadership, nonprofit governance, nonprofit board roles. Thank you. So um, I want people to understand the strength of our sector. The nonprofit community does huge work. And um, we should be respected for it. So I um, would encourage you to to do some research into what work is being done in your community. Um, And then once you do that and you've thought about what you do, in fact, care about, I encourage you to write a check to one of those agencies. Start volunteering, consider board work or committee work or reading to a kid or something, but get involved in an agency that you feel matches your values and that you're interested in supporting. Um, Because we all do have an obligation to make the world a better place. And the way that we do that is one person at a time. Thank you. So let me do a little bit of a wrap-up as well. As our environment, as our global environment becomes more complex, as the pace of change is accelerating, the uh, how we lead needs to change to reflect that. How nonprofits lead, they're filling the gaps in many cases that governments aren't filling businesses aren't filling, so, so they're providing an important safety net. And for that safety net to work, we need good governance. As you join a board, make sure you have learned board basics. Again, my mistake, I'm smart, I, I know all kinds of stuff, this can't be too hard. And yet it's different. It may not be harder, but there are very specific policies like Danny's talked about, where if they're not attended to, they can create a lot of wasted energy for the nonprofit, who's now dealing with the publicity of someone who may have a misdemeanor in doing something with children that's not appropriate. Or terrifying. or Yeah, or terrifying. <laughs> or, or something as simple as the memorial garden for someone who had a reputation we, we were unclear about. So any of those divert our attention from serving the mission that we're here to serve. And yet, as a leader, being on a nonprofit board has been amazingly helpful to build skills. So let's wrap up. This is Maureen Metcalf. You can get a hold of Danny Robbins at her website. Just nonprofitevolution.com. And you can also find my blog at that address, too. And please email us with questions or thoughts. Info at Metcalf-Associates.com. I would love to hear from you. What are you liking? Is there something else you want to hear from us? Or give us feedback. We will get back to you as quickly as possible. Thank you very much, and I hope you heard something that you can use in your professional life in the near future.
Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. We'll be right back.